Hello there. Welcome to the Christ Covenant Sermon Talkback. The Sermon Talkback is a chance for pastors and members of Christ Covenant to process the sermon, ask questions to the preacher, and more practically apply the content of the sermon. If you have a question for the Sermon Talkback, please text it to the Text to Pastor line at 678-951-9041, or you can ask through Twitter by tweeting to Jason directly at Jason Edwin Dees. Enjoy. Well, we finished up the Great Marriage series this week. This is our last Great Marriage talk back, and uh, I'm joined by two of the Christ Covenant greats. If we were to build a Christ Covenant Mount Rushmore, their faces would inevitably be carved in the stone of our church. <laughs> Shannon Smith and Lou Priolo, the Italian lion. Um, so guys, uh, I, I, I got a lot of comments just about the series in general. I mean, I think, you know, I don't know if the sermons were any good, but I think marriage is just an important thing to talk about. And so I think, I, I hope, I think that the church was helped by it. Um, so maybe, yeah, just a comment on the series in general, and then maybe, you know, any impressions from this particular sermon. Uh, Shannon, why don't you start? Yeah, well, I'd like to speak to the um, the sermon yesterday. I loved the illustration that you gave. Uh, basically, you were uh, referring to Ephesians. Um, I think it was, uh, oh, goodness, forgive me. I think it was Ephesians. It was in Ephesians 5, but basically you were talking about, I think it's verse 33, about um, how a wife is to respect her husband. And then you shared, um, you elaborated on that by sharing the story about Paige and how you would, you know, you were overwhelmed with um, all the uh, responsibilities you had at the church and then also trying to pursue your PhD and how basically, you know, Paige came alongside uh, was on your team, in your corner, and basically asked, you know, hey, you can do this um, and how can I help you? And you were talking about how you knew she was in your corner and your your heart grew like 10 times or whatever. But anyway, but just in sharing just how important it is. I mean, it's obviously biblical because it's in scripture about how women are, are, are to respect their husbands. But just in giving that illustration, it was just a great reminder. I mean, I've been yeah. married 29 years. Um, I know this to be true because I've seen it lived out in my own home and, and how when I give Brad, you know, respect, just how it makes him a better leader, uh, a better father, better husband. Uh, so I just appreciated the reminder because I don't ever want to take it for granted. And um, so I, I'm sure a lot of women out there, you know, really benefited from hearing your story. Um, so that really. Yeah, well, I mean, and that, that was like one of the most memorable moments mm -hmm. of my marriage. I mean, I. I I, there, there haven't been, uh, you know, as you guys know, I, I don't like to show weakness <laughs> and, uh, but that was just a moment where I was weak and Paige, um, rather than, you know, accepting that or, right. you know, or making me feel bad for it, just got up underneath me is what it felt like and pushed me. And it was, it was incredibly encouraging. Um, I mean, I'm just, I think of like some of the most encouraging moments of my entire life. That was definitely one of them. And just the kind of capacity that she had in that moment to, to strengthen me. It's, it's, it's just God's design. And I think, you know, like I said, I've been married 29 years, but I think it was so, had to be so helpful too for some of the um, newer wives or even those, you know, single women out there just to kind of know, you know, this is scriptural, but also what makes a man tick. Yeah, you know? you're right. Yeah. So I think it's very of, helpful. It's part of being a husband. Mm -hmm. We need our wives to, we, 
God said it's not good for man to be alone and, and had this helper, uh, this, this, this helpmate in mind uh, that, would, that would drive him forward. I don't know, Lou, any impressions, thoughts? Well, I thought the last two sermons especially um, were really good. Uh, it's the biblical accounts for me, but the suggested homework that you gave, I thought was, was right on target. I thought that was great. It's a page right out of a Lou Priolo. Almost, <laughs> yeah, it was good. Uh, the other thing is, uh, yesterday, I, the part about women being nurturers, I thought was really, really helpful. Women don't have to be told to be nurturers. Men do. Men uh, are told that they have to love their wives and, and nurture them, just like they nurture their own body. Uh, a lot of times, guys read that and they think, I don't nurture my body. Well, when's the last time you got a cut on your finger? What'd you do? Put a Band-Aid on it. Well, you ran over to the sink, you know, you checked it out, yes. and, and you uh, ran under some water, maybe put some antiseptic on it. You did. You nourish and you cherish your own body. And that's something that men are told to do in the Bible. I think it's something that the Bible assumes that women are better at than men. Yeah. And and the Bible assumes that. And uh, But, I mean, I think that's obviously, as you say, like just part of the created order. Um, I, and I even think going back to kind of the – the very beginning, the Adam and Eve narrative, Adam lacked a nurturing capacity that was necessary to take dominion over the creation, but obviously to be fruitful and multiply. Um, Adam could not have done that alone. And, and I think God, if you will, filled in Adam's gaps um, with this wonderful helpmate who was Eve. Mm -hmm. I don't know, what, what, are, what are your questions uh, from the sermon? Things we didn't get to, things that you want to talk a bit more about. Well, I have a question, and this, I've just heard some uh, friends and just other, um, just females talk about uh, when you were, when you're talking about submission, you said, I think it was in this sermon, or it could have been the one before, about not submitting to a husband if he's asking you to do something that could be sinful. Otherwise, you know, we are called to submit, but if he's calling you to, to do something that could be sinful, then you don't submit. Okay, well, that makes sense. But like, what does that look like as far as a response? You know, you love this man. Um, he's asking you to, you know, to do this thing that is out of God's will or, or sinful. You know, what, what should be, uh, what is a loving um, response? Uh, could you maybe walk us through that? What it, that looks like? It's harder, and I know Lou has some thoughts on this too. It, it's harder for a wife with an unbelieving husband, mm -hmm. obviously, um, because... He, an unbelieving husband doesn't understand her desire to please her Lord. Um, and so for a believing husband, um, you know, obviously we, we hope and pray that the Holy Spirit of God is active in his heart. And so if he were to ask his wife to do something sinful and she were to say, no, um, that's sinful. Um, if she can convince him of that, then I pray that the Holy Spirit within him would convict him and that he would obviously want to obey his Lord also. For an unbelieving husband, it becomes obviously a little harder. Mm -hmm. He can understand her, uh, you know, her conviction and may not share that. But, uh, you know, in that situation, again, I think that she just says, look, I, you know, I love you. You're my husband. I'm going to honor and be faithful to you, you know, wanting to win him over as the passage we looked at yesterday says with a gentle and and respectful spirit um, but my first loyalty is to my lord jesus and i want to honor him and so i think that 
that she can disagree um, him knowing the priorities of her heart. And obviously, you know, even though he may be an unbeliever, it is right for her to obviously submit to Christ before she submits to her husband. I don't know, Lou, I know you've dealt with this a lot. Yeah. Uh, the, the passage um, that we're talking about, especially in First Peter chapter 3, it says that a woman is to try to win her husband without a word. That is, as you said yesterday, it's not the external, it's the internal things. A woman who's married to a believer can use the word, right? If her husband asks right. him to sin, she can appeal to scripture. Um, I think it's important though, that um, a woman who's married to an unbeliever really has a clear conscience, really has a good uh, track record of being submissive to him so that when these hopefully relatively rare occasions come up when he gives her an injunction to do something that violates her conscience, she can, as you said, say to him, honey, you know I try very hard to submit to you. I try right. to do what you want me to do. But this request that you've made of me is something that violates my conscience. You may not be able to understand it, but you're actually asking me to choose between you and Christ. And I do love you, and uh, I want to be a good wife to you, but this is just something I simply cannot do without violating my conscience. Is there any other way to skin this cat? And, and that's a good, I like the way you said that. Um, you know, it's like if somebody always has an opinion, always talks, and then something comes up and they don't have anything to say, their silence speaks loudly in that moment in the same way you're kind of saying, look, if her posture is to honor and respect and submit to him, then her disobedience in that moment <clears throat> may be something that the Lord actually uses to convict his heart and to lead him toward godliness. We all know that verse that says, sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart and be ready always to give an answer to everyone who asks you a reason of the hope that is in you. Well, that's a good verse for women who are married to unbelievers or men who are married to unbelieving women. But what does the next verse say? Having a good conscience. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to make sure that as Christians, we, we live in such a way as Paul said in the book of Acts, I, I hear and do I exercise myself to always have a conscience that is void of offense towards God and towards men. That doesn't mean we don't sin. It means that when we sin against someone and we recognize that we go back and we make things right as much as we're able and we ask for forgiveness. I want to ask you about obedience, Lou. You and I were just talking about, yeah. I didn't get into as much the obedience or the tie-breaking principle, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera, of a submissive wife. And, and, and probably the truth is, and I, I know we, I mean, I don't want this to sound, however it sounds, over-spiritual or whatever, but by God's amazing kindness, I have a really healthy marriage with Paige, mm -hmm. and we don't, like, we don't disagree. I mean, you know, sometimes we do disagree, but if, if ever Paige, maybe to your previous point, mm -hmm. if Paige ever disagrees with me on something, you're going to listen. Then I stop and say, okay, I got to think about this, because Paige is so, like, we're on the same for lack of a better word, Paige, yeah. <laughs> all the time. And uh, when, when she does disagree, I'll just say, hey, you know, okay, let me, let me rethink this. Maybe I'm wrong. And I, I just can't remember. I'm trying to actually think. I don't know that I can tell you in our 10 years of marriage a time where I've had to say, we're going to do this and sh you, you just need to be okay with it. Um, either in those situations, God's changed my heart or he's 
changed her heart. And I'm not saying that always happens with everybody. And so, you know, obviously I believe that a posture of submission both means respect and means in those kinds of situa situations, obedience. And obviously in a healthy marriage, the husband's trying to live with his wife in an understanding way. And so he knows how to lead her through things where they might disagree. But I don't know, give us some, you deal with this a lot in biblical counseling. I know mm -hmm. this is a big part of marriage issues that people have. Um, help the ladies out that may be in those kinds of situations uh, and maybe give some advice to the men too in leading their wives through those kind of situations. Well, let me say first that um, sometimes when Kim is trying to persuade me to a different course of action that I'm considering, she will appeal to scripture. As I said before, I'm a Christian, she's a Christ Christian. Um, she can utilize the scriptures. And, you know, uh, I may be willing to argue with her, uh, but I'm usually not willing to argue with God. And so when a woman is married to a believer, and this is true in the other way, in the other, to the other degree also, I mean, the husband towards the wife, who, both of whom are Christians, uh, again, invoking the scriptures and, and allowing the scriptures to be the arbiter between a husband and wife and to, and to help them get on the same page, I think is a very, very helpful thing to do. Basically, um, when a husband asks his wife to do something that um, she's not comfortable doing, she should explain her biblical basis. She should talk to him. She should reason with him to try to persuade him. It's not wrong for a woman to try to persuade her husband to a different perspective, especially if she can make the case from Scripture. Uh, you have to be careful with this one, but there's uh, some truth in the old saying that says the husband may be the head, but the wife is the neck that turns the head. Right, yeah. She has a great position of influence. But at the end of the day, after a full and a frank discussion, if she cannot persuade her believing husband to do what she would like him to do, she should assume at least, and this For a is non again, sinful right, request, yeah. provided it's not a sin, of course. Uh, she should assume uh, that at least temporarily, it's God's will for her to do what her want, what what her husband wants to do, and she'll trust that you know she could be wrong. God will show her. A lot of times, um, uh, in cases like this, I've known women. I've, I've known even in a church situation when, as a as an elder, we've made a decision, and then we find out later on it was not a wise decision. God spanks us. You yeah, know? And it's so, a fearful right, thing to right. disagree with your wife too. Right, and and so, and so she assumes, look, I think I'm right. I may be wrong. Uh, maybe God will show me. This is not a sin. I'm going to have to assume it's God's will temporarily for me to do what he wants. And, you know, if not, if, if I'm right and he's wrong, you know, um, maybe the Lord will show him and, and, and deal with him. I just have to pray that God will help me not to say, I told you so. Yeah, and that's the thing. If ever that does happen, uh, she needs to be forgiving and gracious. Again, realizing his role as a leader is not always easy. Right. But I got a good story on that. It, it was back in the 80s. Um, everybody was making money in the stock market. This is before the crash of 89. My dad uh, is working at a church. He's a poor minister in this church. And there was a guy in the church, respected guy, that is making all this money in the stock market. And everybody's investing money with him and he's killing it for them. And so my dad wants to get in on the action. And so he borrows money to invest with this guy. And my mom was like, 
don't do that. You know, this is insane. You shouldn't do that. And obviously like that was good advice, but my dad, he had taken this huge salary cut to jump into ministry. You know, I, I totally can see it from his point of view. He's a 30 something year old man. You can't lose with this guy. He's thinking, look, I'm going to make some money and then I can pay my loan back. Well, it ends, it ends up, it turns out that this guy's running a Ponzi scheme. Okay. Gets arrested. Um, now, everybody got about 90% of their money back. So the Lord took care of our family in that situation. But my mom never went back to my dad and said, you're an idiot. You know, you're a fool. Mm -hmm. She honored him. Mm -hmm. And to your point, like she, she respected him, um, even though he had done something very, very foolish. Um, and I just really admire my mother for, I, I guess, her submission to who, to God's will in our family's life. And, that, and that's not to say if someone has a pattern of making foolish decisions right. that the wife should just ignore well, it. Well, and, and, and the, the, yeah, my dad had obviously learned his lesson. Right. It, it was, he didn't need her to tell him he was a fool. Everybody <laughs> knew. And, and the truth is, it's like the pastor of the church. I mean, everybody was in with this guy. Um, and so it was, uh, I mean, really smart businessmen. So it was a, it was a big deal, but a very, very sad story. And by the way, I don't remember them all, but there are a few places in scripture where it may be appropriate to say, I told you so to somebody, <laughs> you should have listened to me or the ship would not ha and the yeah, ship would yeah. not have suffered the damage anyway. Hey, Jason, I've got a question. Is that okay? Yeah. Come all on right. In. Um, well in your sermon, you talked about, um, God made man and woman in such a complimentary way that when uh, man and woman understand how they complement complement each other and how they are to fit together. They can actually create life. So, um, can you speak to um, a complementarian, I guess, interpretation versus egalitarian? I have some really godly friends who would say that they would be more egalitarian versus, right, yeah. yeah. And so, I would, could you help me out with that and define that a little bit more clearly? So, obviously, there's a lot of as you say people that love the Lord and love the scripture that would land on, this is a debate in kind of modern theological debates um, between complementarianism and egalitarianism. Egalitarianism, and obviously there's different forms of complementarianism and different forms of egalitarianism. The quick definition would be, and I know Lou, you kind of keep up with these things too, so if you want to add, but the quick definition would be egalitarian seeing no real divide between terms of roles of gender, complementarian, believing there's some roles that men should mm -hmm. take on, some roles that women should take on. And, and I would say, particularly as it relates to these two institutions that God has set forward, the home and the church, right? So as I said yesterday, I don't have an issue with a, 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 you know, a woman working outside the home and being an executive of a company or whatever, because the Bible doesn't really speak to uh, roles within a business environment, right? And what genders can do what where, um, but it does speak to roles within the home. And so again, as I said a few weeks ago, the Bible never says women submit to men, but it does say wives submit to husbands. The Bible also gives us particular instructions for who should be an elder in a church. And again, that's not in no way, and I just want to be very clear here, in no way is that speaking to the essence or talent or quality of women. It's God's design, and I think there's reasons for that that we can talk about. But um, to me, if you're really taking the scriptures seriously, it's hard to get around the complementary nature of the Bible's design for the home and for the church without doing some pretty serious 
uh, jumping jacks. Now, there's definitely scriptures. Again, as I said yesterday, the New Testament in this kind of patriarchal, Eastern, you know, Asian, um, you know, Middle Eastern, ancient world, it was so explosive because it treated women with such dignity and such honor and such respect that I think actually the reason that you have so many instructions about gender roles in the New Testament was because women felt incredibly empowered as they should. And I think in a lot of cases, this is Paul or Peter, whoever coming back saying, this is great because in Christ we're all one, right? There's no male or female. We're equal in the eyes of God. However, God has designed particular roles within the home and the church to be done for men and particular roles to be done by women. And there's a lot more to be said on that. Um, I don't know, do you have some ad lib? Well, first, let me say there probably were places during the New Testament times where um, the cultures where the women were not treated well at all. So um, let's not forget yeah. that. No, um, I, that's what I'm saying. I'm saying in the culture, they weren't treated well. Oh, I'm saying that the Christian communities were treating women oh, so, women okay. so well okay, good. that they were feeling so empowered and so strong. And I think some of these are instructions where they're saying, okay, look, you are one in Christ. Yeah, 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 there is it. no division. Okay. However, there is some, yeah. Yeah, got it. Okay, good, thanks. Um, I think we go back to the one flesh, um, I'm sorry, the helper suitable that we talked about a little bit ago. In, in, implicit in that word suitable, it, it's not, we like to use the word help me. It's not one word in the Hebrew, it's two word, words. It's helper suitable, right? It's a suitable helper. And in, implicit in that word suitable is the idea of complementary. Uh, one is complementary to or for the other. Let, let's suppose uh, we had a half a dozen cantaloupes and I took a serrated, I took a knife and I, I cut them in half but with a serrated edge and then I mix them all up. Well, the idea is that not all of them will fit, right? There's one of the remaining uh, 11 that's gonna be a better fit. Now, I'm not trying to imply by that that you know, there's only one person that anybody can marry, but the idea is that there is uh, a fit. There is one that sort of fits hand in glove with the other, and I think to me, complementarianism understands that God made woman to complement, to fit, to suit him, because she brings things to the table that he doesn't have, and he brings things to the table that she doesn't have. Yeah, and that's not to say that, um, you know, again, like there's different areas of talent, you know, in no way are we saying here that like, the man always has to do the yard work. I mean, right. we're not talking about right. traditional gender roles. No. In fact, in my home, it's not that way. Right, right. Yeah, we're talking. <laughs> I, I do I do most of the shopping. She does a lot right. of yard work. I think we're talking about positions. You know, is there a position of headship? And then there's an understanding of, of submission. And the same thing is true, you know, with the church. Now, there I do think it's, it's a little more functional in that roles like preaching and teaching mm -hmm. are reserved for men. But right. again, we're, we're talking about like position of authority and direction and how uh, the church is led and how the church is cared for and guarded. And, you know, I, I just would say, I think that, and again, people might say, well, it's easy for you to say, you're a, mm -hmm. a husband and a pastor. But, uh, you know, when I think you really understand to what you're saying, Lou, is this complementary nature where we don't have to always be in conflict, where people understand that we've been made different ways. It's actually a beautiful thing. Uh, and I think that it's this over-secularization of the world 
that says value comes by power and authority and everything else uh, that where you have the kind of confusion that we oftentimes have today. And I think it's important to say that because a wife is submissive to her husband, that doesn't mean she has to agree with him, right? Yeah. And again, as I said in the second sermon, in no way does that position, that posture relate to, first of all, you know, who she is in the eyes of God, but also even to things like talent, you know, to, to how smart she may be. I mean, how much money she makes, how much money she him, makes. Right? right. And so this position is not determined by the kind of secular markers that we would say, like who's smarter, who makes more money, how, you know, how we submit it in the outside world. And I think what God is saying, look, I'm going to create these two sacred institutions, the home and the church, where uh, my design is going to be reflected and ultimately where my glory can be seen. And as we've been saying through this whole series, this reflects the Trinity. And Jason, it, it just occurred to me, you know, the truth is, I think for many years, um, evangelical Christians have, um, have read more into the submission, submission term than we should have. It has been used, I think, to teach things that ought not to have been taught. So I'm thankful that uh, in recent years, uh, this is starting to get straightened out. Yeah. Can I ask one more question? Yeah, this is it. practical. Um, you gave out those little um, activities, and I think those are super helpful. So I'd like to ask both of you men here. One of the questions was uh, that a wife was supposed to ask her husband how to be a life giver. And so just if you would speak to the wives out there and, and future wives, you know, maybe give some practical examples of ways wives can truly be a life giver to their husband, you know, as as you asked in that question. I know you kind of already, you gave the, an example about age, but I know Lou's probably got some examples and, you know, just to end on maybe a practical note. Yeah, when, when, I mean, even like, I think one of the questions is like, how can I help you? So this week, I'll give you a great example. Paige has a Bible study on Wednesday. It's very important to her. I have this big meeting on Wednesday. I really need her help for it. And she said, can I help you on Wednesday? And I said, would you mind missing your Bible study? Which is important and good, and I support her doing that, and I wanna pursue her edification. And she said, yes, I'll be there for you. And so that was incredibly life-giving. Her, willing her willingness to inconvenience herself in order to do something that she knows is obviously really important to me. I mean, another one, just very practically, uh, is just when Paige is romantic with me. I mean, and I think that's something that a lot of women fail to understand, um, you know, you know, a lot of times I think women can think like their, their husbands, you know, drive for romance or whatever, maybe selfish. I think so much of it, at least for me, is intimacy. I feel that is when I feel the closest with Paige and it's good for our relationship. And obviously it's incredibly life-giving for me. So those are two practical ones for me. Lou, you got anything to add? Well, we already talked about respect, but I think maybe as a part of that or something that's close to it, I think affirmation mm. is really, really important. There's a book that came out a few years ago by a guy named Sam Crabtree. It's called Practicing Affirmation. And it really, uh, first of all, shows, and it's for men and women. I mean, it's just, it, the point is we all need to affirm people more, but it just shows how much the Bible really does say about the value of affirming people. And uh, it gives some very practical ways that we can show affirmation. I think, I don't know, for a guy, at least for me, um, being affirmed really does um, uh, sort of take the rough edges off of a lot of things in life that are difficult to handle. I'll say this. I don't know a man that doesn't 
love to be affirmed. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and since we're talking about biblical marriages, you know, one thing that makes Christian marriages different between two Christians is that we're supposed to talk to each other about each other's sin, right? The, the wife as the helper sanctifies her husband, the husband as spiritual leader sanctifies the wife. And so like we have to, we overlook as much as we can, we cover in love as much as we can. But when there's a pattern of sin, we have to talk to the other person about their sin, right? If we're both Christians and we're trying to obey Jesus. But against that backdrop of affirmation, bathing the other yeah. person in a solution of praise, it makes the reproof, it makes the instruction a whole lot easier to handle. I love what the Lord says to, the, um, to the, some of the churches. In the Laodicean church, he commends them, he commends them, uh, actually, it's the Ephesian church. He commends them like 15 times before he says, but I have something against you. You've yeah. lost your first love. And I, I just think that's a good example for us. Guys, there's so much more we could say. There's so much more we could talk about, but our time is up. Uh, but thank you guys uh, for joining us. A lot of good wisdom. Don't worry. This won't be the last time we talk about marriage at Christ's covenant, but it will be for a little while. But for Lou Priolo and Shannon Smith, I'm Jason Dees. Thanks for listening.